within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Doom. Hey, what's up, Lonely? It's Joe, and I'm going to be running a couple of my buddies through another one-shot, through another dungeon, using Low Fantasy Gaming, because they didn't make it through Tomb of the Serpent Kings. They made it real far, but not all the way through, and I was thinking I might want to run them through your Spider Cult dungeon. So I'm absolutely going to listen to that episode again, but do you have a write-up? for it anywhere or anything anyway dude if you do let me know otherwise i'll see what i can glean from the episode awesome stuff and i hope it works out because from what i remember it was a really really fun sounding dungeon so have a good one dude peace out hello and welcome to camping with owlbears i am the lonely adventurer joe thanks for that call back uh <laughs> sounds like you're uh, your guys had a rough time of it uh but i don't think uh shouldn't necessarily be the end of the game that's the beauty of dungeon crawls you just roll up new characters and send them back in uh those stats for the basilisk uh, if you're looking for them are on page 19 and 20 there's some interesting stuff on page 20 about the, beha- the behavior of the basilisk um but i think what you did with the medusa is just fine uh they're fairly comparable i guess but <clears throat> Yeah, and it seems almost like a lost opportunity here. There's nothing better than uh, sending in those players again and having them encounter the petrified remains of their old characters. Uh, In my experience, players both love and hate that sort of thing. Skirples has the Basilisk statted out a bit differently than you'll find it in like the OSE Monster Book or the first edition Monster Manual. He has it kind of set up as a phased boss fight uh, if it does come to combat. That makes it, I think, a bit more interesting. Uh, I know a lot of those older kind of gaze attacks, like it's either as soon as it looks at you, you're petrified. Um, and it's either, it's like making a death save. It's too binary for me. Uh, and he has a setup where the, the petrification thing takes uh, a turn or two, and the characters can uh, burn actions to get away from it or resist it or whatever. Uh, and there's also opportunities to interact with it in a non-combat way or uh, somewhere in the middle, rather than trying to befriend the thing, you can uh, use the environment against it. This part might not work with the the way you did the Medusa, but uh, per the book, the basilisk is actually chained uh, to the ceiling of the basilisk chamber by like a 90-foot chain. And that's really the first thing that the the players become aware of, is these big, heavy metal links clinking around in the dark. And the room is also, there's I think there's like six or eight, broken columns scattered around the room and if they're smart they can lead the basilisk on a merry chase uh, through that area and get it all tangled up in the columns and use that uh, distraction to get past it but uh, either way though uh, I get a a good story out of them going back in or I get to hear how they dealt with the temple of the spider king and I get a good story so I'm a happy guy either way uh, another interesting feature with the basilisk specifically is that it's kind of a it's been it's a trained guard dog essentially uh, controlled by Zizimanter, the undead lich uh, snake man who lives deeper uh, in the dungeon who's completely forgotten about it by the way at this point uh, and so it's been trained kind of as a guard dog and it knows not to look at its masters directly and petrify them. And part of the precautions that ZZ Manor took uh, in that regard is that it's wearing a kind of brass 
like horse blinders, I guess you'd call them. And these can be, they're on hinges, uh, like, uh, like metal goggles, I guess, is how I sort of envisioned it. So if the players can sneak up behind it or, or try to grapple it, it's uh, just a medium-sized creature, so it's roughly the same size as a person. Uh, they can close those eye slits and blind the basilisk. It's still plenty dangerous, but it's not going to uh, paralyze anyone at that point. Uh, another thing is that deeper in the dungeon, I believe in the goblin warrens, there is a blue fungus growing, and I, most players wouldn't know this exactly, but uh, they can be used to create uh, an anti-petrification potion. And I suppose if uh, questions were asked around town, they could find this from a sage, or if you've got a magic user, maybe their mentor would know this. Uh, perhaps one of the petrified people was a magic user, I'm not sure, but uh, maybe their uh, mentor sends new adventurers into the dungeon to see what happened. Uh, and so you could actually recover those characters in that way. That might be interesting. And if you wanted to avoid the whole having to start from page one, uh, maybe the petrified characters made a copy of whatever map they were using or making of the dungeon and left it at uh, whatever inn or home they were staying in back in town uh, so that your players could essentially pick up where they left off. So yeah, lots of options there. I think you should, uh, if you get the opportunity, I, I definitely think you should go back in and, uh, and see what comes out of it. There's a whole bunch of other weird, neat stuff to uh, discover in this place. And it, it sounds like you got pretty far, but uh, there's, there's a lot of good things in there, yeah. Uh, we had with our first, my group that I ran through there, on the second or third trip into the dungeons when we had our first player death, uh, one of the fighters was poking around at the pool of murky water uh, on the f second level of the dungeon, uh, right below the false tomb. And I think the book has uh, skeleton scraps or crawling hands or something in there, but I, I had these skeletons that I had painted up, and we, we played with miniatures, uh, and I just love skeletons. And so, yeah, we were in the, uh, was it the atrium? The tomb atrium, that's it. Uh, and point 11, I'm just flipping through the book here, uh, is this mur murky pool full of mummy claws, but I had it full of skeletons, and they were dormant until he decided unwisely to poke around in the pool with a pike he had discovered in the secret chamber back in number 10 there, I think. And all these skeletons came swarming out, and I probably overpowered them a bit too much, but uh, he was split in two by a lucky roll by one of these skeletons, and the rest of the group eventually overcame them with a turn undead and some pretty heavy combat. But they didn't know what to do with his body. They were three days, uh, three days away from the town they were based out of, and they weren't going to carry this corpse back down through the mountains. And so they took him up to the first level of the tomb into chamber number six, uh, which is just past that hammer trap. And if you recall, there are three sarcophagi up there, and a bunch of skeletons pop out of there as well to confront the players. And for some reason, they thought it was a good idea to put the dead fighter into one of these sarcophagi's uh, to kind of lay him to rest. Uh, I'm not really sure what the logic was there, why you would lay your fellow adventurer to rest in this clearly haunted and creepy place, I don't know. Uh, but he ended up coming back many sessions later as a skeleton himself, uh, accusing them of leaving him behind and, and uh, uh, blaming them for his fate. And so big combat ensued, and when they eventually took him out, it was a uh, uh, a very exciting moment at the table, and the player of this uh, fighter-turned-undead skeleton man, uh, he really uh, he got a big kick out of that. So yeah, there's lots of lots of cool uh, 
little twists and turns you can get out of stuff like that. Anyway, I'm curious to hear how it goes for you or how the, uh, the Temple of the Spider King goes. So next I got a message here from Goblin's Henchman, but I'm not 100% sure what he's referencing. <laughs> I, uh, I left a bunch of messages on podcasts this week, and I'm trying. I wish there was a way on Anchor to go back and review your messages. Maybe there is. Someone could help me out with that if it's possible. I think what he's talking about is this idea he was discussing about a trifold dungeon. Uh, He was referring to the back covers of Mad Magazine, which I remember well from my childhood, where basically it was a a trifold image. There would be an image on the back cover, and you would fold the back cover in the middle, so taking one end over to the other, and then you would fold each end back on itself, basically creating four four sections of of the page. Uh, in kind of an accordion situation and as you brought the two edges together essentially concealing the middle of the image uh, between the folds it would create a second image that you would get out of that and and uh, I think he was talking about doing a dungeon that way so you start with this folded up piece of paper and it looks like a small straightforward dungeon but then some sort of triggering action probably on the part of the players uh, then causes you to unfold the paper and you see that it's a much more complex space and the way out is no longer obvious and there's all sorts of uh, menaces and uh, dangers to overcome in the midsection there. Uh, So I hope that's what you were talking about, Goblin's Henchman. If not, I did leave you a message about that and I still think it's an awesome idea. I'm going to try and figure out uh, how to implement it in my game somewhere. Hi, Lonely Adventurer. Goblin's Henchman here. Well, I'm I'm glad you liked that idea. Um, In the... um podcast there's a link to my blog post where I first discussed it Um, if you want any kind of like visual ideas there but in some ways you might be better off just doing it from you know yourself without any any kind of contamination of ideas but yeah I'll be definitely interested interested to see what you did with it or maybe drop me a message later down the track and tell me how it went I'll be obviously curious about that okay cheers take care of yourself bye Hey there, it's John from the Red Dice Stories. Just been listening to your episode 25. Really enjoyed hearing about your player characters in your game and their hunt for owl bear eggs, which I'm hoping I'll hear some more about in future episodes as I'm catching up with my backlog of podcast listening. It was also nice to hear, you know, a sort of NPC community reacting to PCs, getting it. Uh, other NPCs who were from that community killed and other player characters were trying to like blag their way out of that situation. I think that's something that often gets forgot about in games that hell, if you get loads of hirelings from a particular place and they all die in grisly deaths, people ain't going to be looking to sign up with you anytime soon. So really enjoying hearing about that and looking forward to catching up on future episodes. Keep up the good work, dude. Stay safe and I'll catch you soon. Hey, John, thanks for the call in. Uh, yeah, the NPC interactions with the characters was a lot of fun, and uh, we had a, kind of a little follow-up on that right before they went out to uh, hunt for those owlbear eggs. I can't remember if I mentioned this or not. Uh, minor spoilers, uh, they, they do get the eggs, but it still ends in tragedy for them, so hopefully you'll get a kick out of that. But uh, when they were being insulted and confronted by the villagers, it was kind of this old crotchety granny who was kind of leading the charge, Uh, or kind of the main instigator, uh, if you will. But 
because they had managed to redeem themselves in the eyes of the villagers when they set out for the owlbears a few days later, I had the old granny uh, step out of her house as they were leaving town, and she had prepared like you know little travel cakes for them. Uh, and one of the players, I think she was two XP away from leveling up, and uh, she had been the one who had interacted most with her during uh, that uh, encounter. So uh, she ended up, as a reward, on the spot getting her her two XP, and uh, we let her level up real quick before we went back out into the wilderness. Oh, here comes a train, so I'm going to cut this off here. That's probably all I have to say, though, but yeah, hope you enjoy the future episodes, John. Hey, Lonely. Um... Do we call you Lonely or do we call you Adventurer? Do you go by your first or second name? I guess it's, it's informal, so we call you Lonely, um, which now sounds like an insult. So I don't know where we should go from here. Anyway, it's Andy Goodman from Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks and um, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast prompted me to call you to talk about Chasers. I actually don't quite know why he did. Um, I'm not sure why he, you know, uh, volunteered me for this mission, but I do have some thoughts about it, and um, I was really interested to listen to your to your mechanics that you put together around chasers because chasers are actually fundamentally um, effed up in RPGs. They really are. So here's the problem as I see it. Chasers in narrative, in fiction, in film, um, they're really fast, they're really exciting, they're thrilling, they're hair-raising, they're seat-of-the-pants, they're, you know, just think of all the great chasers in movie history, from Indiana Jones to Bullet to, um, uh, to the, um, the Italian job, you know, they are like the, the pinnacle, the key moment, um, the key moment of that, of that work, that work, that production. And I think they're impossible to emulate in an RPG. They may be possible to emulate in a board game, possibly, but even there, I don't think they are. And it's a fundamental mismatch. The mediums are wrong. They do not, they're not appropriate. And I think the, the, I think the important comparison is between combat and chasers. So, and, and I don't know the answer to this. I don't know why they feel so different. Because the same really should apply to combat, if you think about it. Fights are quick, brutal, thrilling. You know, think of that fight scene at the beginning of... Um, of, uh, of, the, of, of whatever that first um, Craig uh, James Bond film was, when, when you know, he was fighting that guy in the toilet, or, or any Jason Bourne film. They're kinetic, they're brutal, they're, they're, they're quick. And yet combat in RPGs usually isn't. And obviously there are some systems where they are quick and brutal, but even those aren't that quick. But, you know, the classic ones like D&D, they, they can last hours. So why is there a difference? And I bet you thought I was going to give you an answer. Well, I don't really have an answer, but I think I might have an inkling. So the outcome of a fight is very definitive. You either win or you lose or you escape. And there's probably some variations in between. But the outcome of a chase is somewhat unsatisfying because it only leads to something else. It leads to either a no-resolution kind of okay, you get away, or it just leads to a fight. 
And I think as a DM, you're kind of inclined to say, well, let's make this a bit more dramatic. Let's have a fight as part of the chase. And, and then it seems like the chase was pointless. It was just an, an, an unnecessary preamble to the fight. So, hmm, I don't know. So what I do with chasers is I just take all the mechanics away, more or less. I might make one roll, which is, you know, there's something that happens during the chase. Do you make the roll or not? Does the chase end in disaster or do you catch up? And the rest, I really, I chuck out the window. I've been playing, I've been running a lot of Call of Cthulhu. That There's a really developed chase mechanic within Call of Cthulhu. Um, in 7th edition, very similar actually to, to the way you described it. You basically set out a number of you know, key points along the chase and you make rolls to see whether you can overcome these points. You know, like a, a, you know, a truck comes across the road or there's a fence that you have to get over or whatever. And then you have speed and constitution rolls and you can see whether you can catch up or, or, or not. But even though I kind of understand the mechanic and I really haven't studied it or practiced it enough to really understand it properly, I just shied away from it. It seems far too involved what I want to achieve in my game, which is high action drama that we, that we narrate out together. And, and so it fails in that instance. You know, combat in Call of Cthulhu works really well for that dramatic narrated combat because you're so weak and you're so vulnerable. And the enemies are sometimes to some extent, at least the human ones. So, so they can be bloody and brutal and dramatic. But I don't want this five point um, assault course that we make rolls for to see what happens at each point. I want something just very dramatic to happen. I want that, that truck to come skidding across the road, but I don't want to have to wait five turns for it to happen. Okay, that's well enough about chasers. I don't know enough about them to really make a, a clear statement or judgment. But I just, in my heart of hearts, I know that they don't really belong in RPGs. I really feel that. Well, maybe you can make them work, but I certainly have, have, have never been able to. <laughs> All right, see you later. Andy, thank you for that, Colin. And for the record, it is a Dr. Adventurer, but uh, we are all friends here, so uh, let's keep it informal. And yes, uh, lonely is fine. Um, I, I basically am in the same camp as you are, so I don't think we're going to get a lot of uh, debate and discussion out of this, that chases just don't work in role-playing games very well. Some can do it better than others. I would absolutely argue that if I was going to run a game that had was chase heavy that I would want to do that in something like Fate or Fate Accelerated. Uh, in fact, the Fate rules for contests on page 150 of the core rules, and I, I'm sure it's on their SRD online for free, are pretty good. It's essentially uh, a similar structure to the skill challenges of 4th edition D&D, where it, it's kind of a, a roll-off between the either multiple PCs or PCs and NPCs and you're looking for a certain number of victories to carry the day. Uh, but where I think Fate is better at this than a lot of other games is that Fate relies on a mechanic called uh, they call aspects, and these are just little one-liner 
descriptions of either uh, character aspects that are true that can in the right circumstances be pulled into play to give mechanical bonuses or aspects on a scene where uh, you might be running down a dark alleyway that is muddy and full of uh, obstacles in the form of boxes and, and garbage cans. And each of those things, the mud, the darkness, the garbage cans, would each have an aspect describing them that are written down on index cards and put on the table. And both the GM and the players are then going to do their best to bring them into play. And uh, if the, the, in the case of the game I was running, the Fleeing Goblins, uh, I might spend a fate point as the game master to say they, they invoke this, at this aspect of the garbage cans and they want to knock over uh, the garbage cans to create an obstacle to make the difficulty of the player's roles a little bit higher. Uh, or the players might decide they want to scoop up some of the mud and, I don't know, throw it in the face of the retreating goblins. Uh, I'm not sure how the physics of that work. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of riffing here. It would work with me <laughs> uh, to either make it harder for the goblins to succeed on their role or to uh, boost their, their own role results. Um, but even then, it's, it's not perfect. So, yeah. Uh, chases. Oh, gosh. Uh, we really enjoyed uh, our chase with the goblins, but I wouldn't want to do that sort of thing all the time. It's a little bit... I was I was just listening to Keep Off the Borderlands, um, where Dave was talking about his Dark Suns game, and the, kind of the trap monsters that you find in a lot of uh, old D&D modules, where they're, they're fun and interesting the first time you encounter them, but if they become a thing that you run into all the time, they're just a nuisance, and like the novelty is worn off. So... It'll definitely be a long time before I run a similar uh, scenario with my players. Um, yeah, I think that's all I got. So I want to thank uh, Andy from uh, Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks, John from the Red Dice Diaries, uh, Joe from Hindsightless, and Goblin's Henchman from Goblin's Henchman for your call-ins. I really appreciate them. Um, it was really great to open up my app today. I was been feeling a little low with the whole quarantine and... Uh, thought I'd see about doing some podcasting, and there was a pile of messages waiting for me. And uh, that was nice, a real uh, boost of the spirit, so I, I appreciate it. Uh, in gaming news, let's see, what have I been doing? Uh, I played a little Barrow Maze. I played a little OSE Fantasy Westworld. I uh, had a good time in both sessions. I'm trying to think if there's anything worth uh, sharing with you. Oh, yeah, so in the Barrow Maze game, I'm playing a magic user with uh, three hit points now. I've hit level two. And two of the most useless spells uh, in Dungeon Delving, uh, I've got Read Magic and a Ventriloquism, and that's it. <laughs> so mostly I stand behind everyone, I hold the torch, and uh, in this case there was a lot of combat with uh, skeletons and giant rats. I did my best to just keep the hell away from all the danger, and uh, eventually the, the Dungeon Master took pity on me and let me control some of the henchmen uh, that we had brought along with us. And yeah, so we messed around with that. Uh, we discovered a weird tablet, and being I finally was able to use one of my spells, so I used my read magic spell to read the tablet, uh, which promptly cursed me, and I was blinded uh, for an indeterminate amount of time. Next to the tablet, we had found a strange blue potion, and I made it a, a ridiculous leap of logic and assumed it was the cure. Uh, so I downed the potion without uh, hesitation. Uh, it turned out it was a potion of clairvoyance, and so I kind of observed myself for a while through the eyes of one of the henchmen and tried to drive my blind body like a third-person video game. 
uh, back to Prigwart in Dolmenwood. Um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, pretty standard Dungeon Delvey stuff. Uh, we had a good time. Lost some people on the uh, in the, the Westworld uh, game. And yeah, uh, got back to town in both cases. Already a safe place to rest anyway. Um, I did not get to game today with my uh, my Dungeons and Dragons dad's dad's group. Um, I had to call the game last night around ten o'clock. I I was meant to prep after dinner last night for our five E game, and boy, I'd forgotten how much prep work five E can kind of be. Um, I dug back into the whole figuring out uh, what's an appropriate. Uh, CR level for the monsters that are facing the PCs and uh, it's just a, it's a rabbit hole that I get sucked into and then I get obsessed with trying to make it work and, and understand the goofy math uh, in the Dungeon Master's handbook which I find it's just awful it's inscrutable it's 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 for all the the, the flack that uh, Gary Gygax can get about some of his writing in early D&D uh, it's nothing compared to these uh building encounter uh, charts and uh, guidelines in the DMG uh, for 5th edition. <laughs> uh, luckily, though, Xanathar's Guide to Everything kind of revisits the material and does break it down in a pretty straightforward way that I find helpful. But, uh, yeah, I ended up uh, just uh, online uh, on the Nintendo Switch uh, last night instead of prepping for my game, hanging out with some other friends who I haven't gotten to game with in a while. So we were playing Fortnite for <laughs> a good chunk of the evening, uh, dunking on 12-year-olds and uh having a good good laughs uh so yeah i i make good use though of the what would have been the dungeons and dragons and dad's uh time slot to prep the next two or three sessions with them so i will not drop the ball again anytime soon on that and then i'll be getting together on monday with my main group to uh deal with the fallout from the death of maul the dwarf and uh the inadvertent transformation of two of our human players into a bugbear and uh an owl aracocra so I'll be back on uh, Monday or Tuesday uh, with an update on that. Until then, be safe. Uh, lonely Adventurer out. <laughs>